Welcome back to the Middle Tech Podcast. You've got Evan Knowles and Logan Jones here. We had a hell of a weekend at the lake, didn't we? Yeah, we did. Uh, you got to meet some of my, my good buddies from college. We sat around the campfire for a little bit and uh, told some good stories and had some good bourbon. It was a good weekend. I'm glad you got to come out and, uh, and experience that with us. Yeah, no, you got a good spot there at Cave Run. Um, it was fun. The weather was awesome. We saw, oh, hey, uh, we saw uh, Starlink, didn't we? Yeah, we did. So that's the second time I've actually seen them out there. The first time we were sitting by the fire and I look up and I see, uh, it looked like a star just going. And then I saw another one falling, exact same trajectory, exact same speed. And then turns out I saw about 40 of them, exact same path, exact same spacing apart. Um, and we looked up last or the other night, I guess it was Friday night when we were out there. And saw the exact same thing going on. And I knew immediately that's what that was. So it's pretty crazy that we can see that stuff going on in the night sky uh, when there's not much light pollution out there. Yeah. I mean, it was essentially like one big satellite and then there were like 50 yeah. like closely following behind it. It was wild. crazy to see. Yeah. Wild stuff. Yeah. Wild stuff. But yeah, so uh, let's get into talking about what we um, recorded this episode for and who we recorded with. I uh, sat down with Dan Beldy and Shane Haddon. Um, what do you think of these conversations, Evan? Uh, they were good. So Dan uh, has been a friend of ours for a long time. Uh, he invested in Fuji while I was there. So I've gotten to know him over the past, gosh, almost four, three years, I'd say. Um, so he's somebody that we've had on before. Uh, but we wanted to get him on again and just get his thoughts on you know, how COVID has affected you know, the venture capital space. You know, he's not only a venture capitalist here in middle America, which has its you know intricacies and nuances, but now every venture capitalist is now facing you know the COVID crisis and uh, that's a, definitely affected VCs in a lot of ways. So he's going to touch on that. Um, and then Shane Haddon was also, it's also somebody we've been friends with for probably three years now. Um, he was a professor, he's a professor at UK uh, and he's uh, worked on wall street. And so he's got a very uh, heavy financial background. Uh, he's using that now with a new product called um, seats capital. And so seats capital is actually pretty timely uh, product because it's a best, basically an investment vehicle uh, for investors to invest in uh, businesses, startups uh, based on future revenues. Um, so he'll touch on exactly what that means, but it's pretty, pretty interesting right, way to raise capital as a business that um, doesn't put the pressure of debt on you uh, while at the same time not giving up equity. Uh, so it's, it's a pretty unique model that I never heard of. Um, I know that some companies raise money in the form of debt based on what their future revenues are going to be because it's recurring revenue business. Um, but you know, this is something a little different. So he touches on that and then he takes his experience in the finance space and talks about COVID a bit and how that's going to affect you know, the world. So it's good conversations. Yeah. yeah really interesting. Um, have a cool history of both of them. Uh, Dan just through middle tech and getting to sit down with him. That was one of the first things I got to do was sit down uh, and get coffee with you and Dan. His his vision and the way he uh, conducts himself and conducts business was really cool for me to see. And then Shane uh, was one of my professors at UK. So it was really cool to sit down with him and, and hear what he's doing and catch up with him a little bit. So with that being said, uh, we're going to go ahead and dive into it and we hope you guys enjoy. All right, let's do it. All 
right, Dan. Thanks for joining, man. Uh, how you been? I've been great, guys. Thanks for having me. Uh, challenging times for everybody and, and always nice to connect with Middle Tech and, and talk about life and the future and, and good yep. things. Yeah. Well, people don't know this, but when we were first working on Middle Tech early, early, uh, we had sit, sat down with you and you gave us some great insight and feedback and inspiration. So we definitely appreciate everything you've done for us as well. Awesome. I'm, I'm waiting for you guys to be on the cover of a magazine. <laughs> We're going to make our own magazine, Middle yeah. Tech magazine. We'll have to make our own. <laughs> so what we want to do is obviously sit down with you and discuss everything going on, you know, in the world right now um, of venture capital as it relates to coronavirus in this region. Um, you know, it's changed everything. And we've already gotten, you know, two great you know, thought leaders and uh, very influential people in the region and Tom Martin and Bryce Anderson to talk about their um, experience with COVID. So we wanted to get you on and get your perspective as well. Um, and, and first question we had was, you know, as a venture capitalist, uh, the first thing that came to your mind when all of this started to get serious was what? what? What was the first thing that really kind of struck you or went across your mind? Yeah, sure. Uh, you know, as a venture capitalist, I think you know, probably fall back on uh, as a person, as a leader, uh, this is a very unique challenge. So for, first thing that crossed my mind is health, of course, no surprise. Uh, health of physical health, of course, of, you know, friends and family. And then, of course, in the venture business, everybody on the team, all the portfolio companies and, and make sure everyone is OK uh, from that perspective. And I think uh, for, for all of us, that was hopefully the initial instinct, you know life is short and you want to make sure everyone's okay first. Um, beyond that, uh, of course, you quickly shift to uh, you know, leveraging 20 plus years of experience in the venture business. There's been you know, several, call them uh, economic shocks, dot-com and 9-11, and of course, and the financial crisis. And this one um, uh, was very uh, sort of, uh, shocking in, in its swiftness. And I think everyone quickly understood, you know, that things had changed immediately. So for startups and really for any company, we're seeing this play out across the economy, of course, for some of the largest companies uh, in, the, in the country, but for startups, cash is life. So the next thing you sort of think about is, you know, is every uh, company got enough runway to, to sort of, um, get through any kind of downturn and really just strategize with, with each company and team really hear what they're dealing with. Fortunately for, um, for a lot of us and certainly the technology industry as a whole, uh, some sectors have some headwinds, but, but a lot of the sectors have some tailwind. There's, there's been some uh, uptake in, uh, in usage of course, for a lot of services when you have really the whole world go online uh, at the same time, uh, which is in effect what happened through necessity. Uh, uh, the use of tools and services to operate remotely, communicate remotely, um, and work remotely uh, grew in demand. So I'll sort of stop there, but I, I guess to summarize, you know, first and foremost, health, and second, health of the company, specifically around cash and uh, and time uh, to to operate uh, through a downturn. 
So once you realize this is a pretty serious thing we're going through, I'd like to dive into how your mindset and strategy changed. Because I, I was actually listening to a podcast this morning, one of my favorites, Snacks Daily, and they were talking about how there's been a shift from founder-centric investing to now it's more venture capital-centric investing. You know, before all this happened, we were on a big rise. Everything was really, really high-valued. And these founders were getting these big deals where, you know, they were able to have very high valuations, but now the people are a little bit more hesitant to invest. Has your mindset and your strategy changed any through this? Well, I, I think, you know, this maybe answer your question, Logan, and, and tied to your first question, Evan. Uh, the strategy hasn't changed. I think everybody... Uh, shifts in priority to their existing investments. So anybody that was spending, you know, reasonable amount of time in new investments, I think first and foremost wanted to prioritize current companies and how they're doing and making sure that they have uh, the right uh, amount of cash to, to last. Um, in my experience, the most important thing in downturns is to, you know, is to get through them. Um, and then uh, re repeat the question, Logan, just because I want to make sure I answer it specifically yeah. yeah just how has your mindset and your strategy kind of shifted as all this has happened yeah i don't think this the strategy hasn't shifted right so there's great opportunities i mentioned earlier that you know several of the companies in airwings portfolio are actually seeing you know material uptick in uh, in demand so uh, uh that that in and of itself i think just highlights uh, you know, the importance of innovation mm -hmm. and, uh, and where the, where the economy's headed. So falling back on leadership lessons, I think you just try and stay calm anytime you're in situations that have a lot of uncertainty by nature, the venture business and really the startup business is, uh, you know, one of uncertainty and one of mitigating risk. So I think, that just gets highlighted even uh, to a greater extent in a downturn like this, any kind of downturn is, okay, what risks do we need to mitigate? Uh, what what um, are the top three? I like to work in this, uh, all the companies that I invest in that Airwing is a part of and, and just through the career, just trying to boil things down into, you know, what are the top three strategic priorities that we, because we're service providers that we can help our companies with, and some of that is cash, of course. Uh, some of it is uh, introductions and uh, anything that would help a company get through a downturn, whether it's partnerships and, and so forth. Um, and, and all this experience. I think the third one, you know, you sort of leverage experience and haven't been in a couple of downturns. Hey, here's what's worked for other companies in the past. Stressing the priority of making sure um, uh, operating plans are reworked for the new normal. Uh, a lot of uh, business plans and, and everybody's budgets, almost everybody's budgets, I'd say, from January are, are being reworked, either uh, reforecast on the downside or some of them reforecast on the upside. Uh, there's some companies that are really seeing huge spike in demand. So uh, back to the core of the question, Logan, I'd say the most important thing is just stay the course in the, with respect to you know, being calm under pressure showing leadership uh, uh, to me on the risk mitigation side, you have to think about, all right, what is the world going to look like in 
24 months. And if you're really conservative and think, look, it's going to take at least 36 months to get back to a new normal or, or close to 90 to 95% of where we were pre-COVID, um, you, you have to put a marker out there, make an assumption, and ensure your companies uh, can operate successfully through that period so that they come out the other side of this many times, you know, possibly even stronger than when they went in. Uh, there's nothing like, you know, a, a, a trial by fire to uh, uh, get everyone focused on efficiency and and what's important with respect to the value they provide. Yeah. You, so you mentioned there briefly uh, some of the companies that Airwing has invested in are, are feeling some of these tailwinds right now, which is a good thing. I think middle tech listeners would be interested to know what one of those companies would be and, and how they're reacting to this whole situation, if you want to dive into that real briefly. Yeah, sure. Uh, the, there's um, you know a few companies in the area um, that uh, uh, you know Fuji uh, on the experience delivery side. So it's, it's probably never been more important yeah. for big brands to reach their uh, customers in, in a creative manner. So uh, so we're seeing a lot of um, of interest in that platform for that purpose. Uh, we, we were talking earlier about uh, Switcher, so online video platform, seeing you know significant uptick in demand as uh, businesses try and uh, basically leverage video. Uh, we've seen the growth in Zoom as a as a public stock comp. So I think across the board, you're seeing everybody being a lot more open to using uh, creative and innovative video platforms, and Switcher certainly fits, fits that bill. Um, uh, Onnovative in in Louisville, that's a, a CRM platform for community banks to reach their customers. So, so you see this consistent theme of, of being able to reach out remotely. Uh, um, uh, I don't say benefit because that's that's uh, you don't really want to use that um, word in a in a crisis like this. But um, I'm proud of the companies and think it speaks to. Uh, you know, where, where tech and innovation shine, especially in this part of the country, um, filling real needs at, at a crisis time where it's important for companies to still maintain contact with their, uh, with consumers, uh, with each other, and, uh, and deliver experiences in case of Fuji. Uh, so, so that consistent theme across those three companies, and, and there's more, you know, the weekly juicery here in town, uh, and, and Sword here in town are both uh, CPG companies with uh, uh, e-commerce delivery capabilities and, you know, being healthy, taking care of your immune system, uh, giving people uh, opportunities to do that in a, in a direct um, over the uh, web or mobile uh, pathway is, is, uh, something that uh, I think a growing number of, of their customers are excited about and the word of mouth is spreading pretty quickly. So um, I'll leave it at that, but you know, there's a few examples right there. Yeah. Um, Logan, I've been talking about, you know, in, in a crisis like this, is it a good time to start a company? Because there's this whole concept of, you know, innovation gains market share in a downturn when there's uncertainty when there's fear in the market, uh, the ones that are innovating and really pushing forward are going to quickly gain market share. 
what are your thoughts on that line of thinking and um, whether or not now is a great time to start a business? Sure, sure. Well, look, I think we've seen over history and certainly the last 25 years, uh, last 40, 50 years, um, you know, Microsoft and Oracle back in 1975, you know, a lot of great companies sort of came out of, of tough times. And if anything, I think uh, at their core, entrepreneurs are problem solvers. So there's a lot of problems out there right now. A lot of aha moments where folks say, hey, um, you know, we need to operate differently in case, you know, we run into situations like this again. So uh, I'm 100% certain that there's entrepreneurs, you know, cooking up ideas and maybe even starting on them. Uh, so, so I think it's always a great time if you if you spot an opportunity in the market to to start. Now that being said, we're so um, you know only weeks into this, and still a lot of uncertainty about the path forward. So, from a funding perspective, if you if you need funding, I think it's going to be a little tougher, challenging uh, to to get funded, uh, depending on the you know amount of capital you, you may need over the next few months just because everybody's a little more focused on their existing investments. Yep. Uh, that'll change, you know, that change in a quarter, two quarters, you know, towards the end of the year, it'll definitely change. So, um, you know, stepping back on that 24 month uh, time horizon I talked about earlier, uh, I think we're going to see an amazing amount of, of new innovation emerge over that 24 month period, whether it starts you know, it's this week or the next couple of months or over the next couple of quarters, it's definitely starting. Yeah. And, you know, as one of the, as the last question, how, how is the future going to be affected by this in a term of, in the, the world of startups? And, you know, I would like to hone in on your perspective on, you know, the future of work, whether that, uh, you know, it's definitely going to move more remote, but, uh, kind of the first part of the question is, you know, going to the future, how does this affect startups? And then what's your opinion on, on, you know, remote work as somebody that would invest in a company, would you be more hesitant to invest in a fully remote company than one that's actually in an office together? Uh, how would you tackle that question? Uh, sure. Evan, I, I think, look, the remote trend was underway way before um, we, we ran into this crisis. So uh, several companies, Airwings funded, and and several companies that have been very very successful, high profile companies, have operated with remote teams. Uh, whether that's an engineering team, whether it's you know key members of the of uh, of the executive team, and we're we're living in a remote you know sort of world, right? Enabled by the internet, enabled by mobility. So um, so I think this crisis has forced everyone online. We almost have this uh, opportunity to see, hey, if everyone's uh, mandated to, to operate remotely, how will they do that? Where are things, you know, uh, uh, broken to some extent? And, and where, are they, um, where are they working really well? Uh, coming out of this, I think you're going to see several industries you're kind of seeing a lot of discussion around that in education right hey if i can if i uh, if i can get a degree and take a lot of these classes remotely you know do i have to be on campus i think conversations like that inherently i think we are uh, you know creatures of of 
uh, humanity, you know, we, we sort of crave being in person and for a whole bunch of reasons, it's sort of human nature to, to want to uh, be connected and not just, you know, remote. So uh, when we have a vaccine and when we uh, have uh, systems and, and safety in place to get back to the way things were, I think we'll, uh, we'll do that. But to your point, I think there's going to be several lessons learned and, and probably several permanent changes in uh, people's willingness to uh, operate remotely, whether that means ordering uh, several things uh, from their home, whether that's food or products or things they weren't, you know, typically wouldn't do normally. There'll be a lot more comfort and experience doing that. Uh, with respect to meetings, you know, you probably see a lot more meetings done. You know, questions come up, will venture firms, you know, fund companies? There's already venture firms that are funding companies just through Zoom meetings. Uh, will people do big deals? You know, can you do an M&A transaction uh, over video without ever meeting the, the team you're going to, you know, uh, uh, or the company you're going to acquire or the company you're going to sell to? You know, probably not. I, I doubt that. Uh, but but people will move things. What you will see is people move the ball far enough, so that may be like one or two uh, uh, final checklist items. Hey, we've gotten to know each other. We've done uh, a whole bunch of diligence just for business too, and um, you know we'd love to meet person, have dinner or something. Uh, probably can't, probably not going to shake hands anymore. But uh, <laughs> you really some... think that's going away? Well. I mean, certainly in the short term, yeah. you know, smart social distancing and, and so forth. I think there's going to be strong recommendations that we uh, refrain from that. I'm not smart enough uh, to, to sort of, you know, predict exactly what everything's going to look like in another five or 10 years. I am uh, uh, strong, you know, I have a strong conviction and, and uh, optimism in the collective uh, spirit and ingenuity and grit and determination of, of the country, of the world, uh, you know, to figure things out and make the world a better place. And so I tend to be, uh, you know, very optimistic in the long term. You know, I think you have to be to be in this business. And so I'd like to think it will be able to shake hands uh, uh, one day in the future. And I think that'll happen, but certainly not a high on the priority list of the next uh, year or two. <laughs> Well, we uh, certainly appreciate you taking the time. Uh, we will speak again very soon because you have some uh, really exciting stuff coming up, and we want to touch on that as well. But uh, absolutely, looking then, forward to. Till then, we uh, we appreciate the time, man. Yeah, absolutely, guys, You're doing a great job, and uh, and happy to follow up. We'll do a few more of these sessions, and and keep up the good work. All right, Shane. Uh, you and I got lunch uh, probably several months ago, and you were teasing me with the idea of seats, uh, and I was excited about it. Uh, it's a very uh, interesting concept, and so what we want to do is get you on here today and, and dive in a bit uh, now that you're you know, running with it and going out there and talking to people and talking to the industry to see what the reception is going to be and hopefully get some, some early clients. Um, talk about what Seats Capital is and how it works. Sure. Well, thanks for having me, guys. Appreciate it. Always fun to be on this. Um, so I'll start with the problem. The problem is that um, businesses, when they're trying to raise money, are kind of between a rock and a hard place. They can either uh, borrow money that is going to 
potentially put them in a really bad spot um, if they borrow it in a way where they have to pay back a, a sum certain. Um, that can be really dangerous for a lot of companies. Or they have to sell themselves, literally, sell, sell ownership in their company, um, which can really change the culture of a, uh, of a fledgling startup that is very fragile um, or, or a small business, a family business. Bringing new people in um, is problematic. And that currently, that's kind of the status quo. Most risk um, capitals in the form of equity. And so I'm, we're, we're creating an alternative to that. Um, so between debt and equity, there's another, uh, there's another layer that we call seats, which is um, the business selling future revenue. So you can, from the business side, it's, you can think of it as getting paid now for revenue that you, you target earning in the future. This could be revenue that you might you think you're going to earn in a couple of months or revenue that you're going to earn, you know, when you hit that big home run and, and you have a billion in revenue. Um, it's just a matter of, you know, investors pricing it accordingly. So it's, it's, it's a tool for businesses to raise funding that is non-dilutive. It's no, no vote. Um, and it's a very specific amount that they're selling. Uh, and it's not a debt claim. So it's very, um, uh, it's a flexible kind of fresh alternative for, for businesses. Interesting. So Shane, you, you have a background in finance. How did you, how'd you come to this idea? Yeah, I, I was on wall street, uh, doing a lot of crazy funky stuff. Um, this is not near as, as crazy as some of the things <laughs> I've been involved with. Uh, this is pretty straightforward, actually. I mean, this, this has been around selling revenue has been around forever. Uh, you know, movie companies, uh, sell their, you know, future receipts. Um, there's royalty financing. There's, there's all kinds of, of variations on selling revenue. Um, what I, uh, my background on wall street, my, my kind of core job, um, was distributing risk to the best buyer. So going around and kind of originating any type of risk, whatever it was, um, repackaging it, in a way, you know, slicing it up and selling it in a way um, where the, the buyers that would pay the most for each individual piece um, were, were accessed. So this could be through a securitization or reinsurance or, you know, all kinds of different uh, derivative type structures. There's a lot of ways to do it. So you, you could think of this in that light as uh, you know, a company is just its future cash flows and a revenue, revenue is one part of that. Um, and what Seats is doing is slicing that up into, you know, as many, you know, infinite number of unique pieces, right? Every revenue band is a unique piece and we help companies find the best buyer for that individual piece. Unlike equity, which is everybody gets the same stuff, very hard to value, a lot of noise, um, a lot of times investors have to wait for years to get paid. They have to wait for a liquidity event, you know, and that's not what a lot of investors want. They just want to, you know, take a position on a particular risk. So yeah, my, my, uh, my background is definitely, uh, kind of well suited for this and, and, uh, um, definitely bringing it, bringing some things back that I, that I used to do back in you know, 10 years ago. Yeah, it makes sense. Is there an industry that you think this works better with than others? So, for instance, when you and I spoke, 
first thing I thought of was, you know, SaaS, recurring revenue businesses. Um, and your initial uh, work with speaking with potential uh, partners and speaking with just people in the industry, what have you heard that might be a better fit for this? Is there, is there an industry that's the best fit for this? I think it's, I mean, it's going to have broad appeal. It has had broad appeal from uh, the conversations that I've had and we're just starting to get out there. There are a lot of different use cases. Um, you know, as I said, this could be very equity-like. It could be very debt-like. It could be used to raise a seed round. It could be used to raise a growth round. It could be used for just opportunistic little spots it can be used by small businesses, startups. Um, I'll mention a couple um, that we have on the platform now that are kind of live with offerings available. Um, one is a situation where it's a, um, it's a company that has traditionally been a consulting firm and they have an, a really great new technology. Um, and so they're kind of now startup like they have a huge growth opportunity. Um, but are, you know, when you, when you talk to these, when you're consulting firm and you talk to VCs, um, they get concerned because, uh, you know, there's always this risk that you may just kind of go back into your, your consulting firm kind of, uh, you know, earning million dollars revenue a year and that's fine, but the VC is never going to get paid. And so um, they have, you know, they have contracts, they're getting contracts and they have a decent uh, visibility to some near-term revenue. So here's a case where um, there's a lot of potential upside, um, but you know, if that doesn't happen, you don't need a big exit. You don't have to sell to Google. The investors can still get really nice returns. Um, so that's one example. Another example is um, situation. We have a we have a company on the platform now, um, just starting out. Uh, not excited about you know going out and and uh, the, it's the type of thing where they could grow organically. Um, they have that opportunity. And they don't, they don't want to bring on, you know, investors um, that own part of their company, uh, but they want to grow. They want to market themselves. Um, and so what we've talked about is, um, you know, they need money for, for acquiring customers. And they have, of course, forecasted revenue from, from those acquisitions. And what they're doing is they're identifying kind of an upside scenario band and selling that um, today getting the money and plowing that money back into marketing cost of acquisition. And so, so long as the, um, the discount that is used to price that revenue is less than the return on your investment in marketing, you can do that all day, right? And just, just keep earning money. Um, just keep, just keep um, kind of using that as an engine for growth. Um, SaaS is, yeah, SaaS is just a natural um, for this, there's a lot, a lot of people doing, you know, revenue-based lending now in, in the SaaS world, um, which makes a lot of sense. Um, I'm not a fan of borrowing at all. Um, and, you know, just, uh, so I, I think that <clears throat> this is, uh, hope will hopefully appeal to a lot of folks because this is gonna, um, because seats is contingent on the revenue being earned. Like you don't owe the money back unless the revenue is earned. Um, you're not setting yourself up for a potential, you know, serious cash squeeze at the wrong time. Um, but there, there are others. I mean, I was on the phone yesterday with somebody that, that really wanted to do this um, with horse racing. Uh, 
<laughs> uh, and you know, there, we have a golfer on the platform. Um, so, you know, sponsoring golfers is something that's been around forever. Uh, basketball players do it. What our goal is to create a very standardized contract that can be used across all these different um, use cases to create a lot more liquidity for this. Interesting. So kind of, you know, we're in the midst of this pandemic right now, kind of transition in to talk about where seats fits into all of this. It's safe to say that, you know, fundraising and, and raising capital for startups is changing and not only startups, cause you're doing all sorts of different companies, but talk a little bit about where seats capital fits in um, with all these traditional ways of raising capital during a pandemic like this. Cause I mean, yeah, people are becoming more and more risk averse, obviously. So I feel like that's a, a big opportunity for you guys. Yeah, for sure. When there's things like this, there's going to be, it's a great time for entrepreneurs kind of have an mm-hmm. open field to run in, uh, as I heard quoted. Um, um, Matt Harris was the person that, uh, that said that, uh, get them credit for that. Um, the, uh, a couple of things. One is I'm really worried about companies taking on debt at this time. Even if it's interest-free debt, mm-hmm. uh, it's still debt. And it's just, it's scary. Um, that, that, that we're going to see a lot more leverage in the system coming out of this. Um, I mean, there's going to be enough bankruptcies anyway, but, but with the additional debt that might be taken on. So this is definitely a, a kind of a safer alternative for those companies. Um, there is, you know, the thing about just very practically about, um, about the pandemic and, and the situation where we're in, you know, it's, practically impossible to do due diligence as a, as an investor, Hmm. you know, you can't really go and kick the tires, talk to the employees at the site. Uh, You can only do so much over zoom. And that's, that's, it just, it's um, equity is the thing about private equity is it's very much like a a wedding, right? A marriage. You're, you have to um, really on both sides, both sides of it, um, you have to really um, do your due diligence and be ready to work with somebody, be married with somebody, be a partner with somebody for a long time, right? And that's one of the reasons I don't think it's, it's, the, best, uh, it's the best structure for fundraising um, because those, those things can, can break up and it's, it's usually pretty ugly. Um, but when um, now, so... Investors, as you say, are uh, more and more risk averse as they should be. Um, it's very, as a practical matter, difficult for them to really make these decisions unless, unless it's a follow on round or they've, you know, they've been talking to the, the CEO for a long time and the founders. Um, it's hard for them to make investments in this, in this environment. What we're trying to do is simplify investing for everyone. So instead of trying to make a, uh, trying to take a position on, the rest of the life of a company, perpetual cash flows, you know, you're in it for 10 years, you're hoping there's going to be some exit one of these days, all kinds of things could, could happen to affect the value of the company. Your return is contingent on, you know, the ultimate value of the company. That's nobody can model that out. Right. Um, but if the proposition is simply, will this company have, you know, when will the company get a million dollars in revenue? Once they do, I get the next $50,000. If that's all you're underwriting, then you might be able to do that from your computer 
you know, and on the phone and looking at, at the data that we're going to, that we're going to give to investors um, on our platform, you know, that's a, it's a different dynamic um, that I think is going to eventually result in lower cost of capital to the companies, safer capital. Um, and, you know, it, it's, um, you know, wish it were better times, but this is definitely a good time for, for the specific disruption that we're, that we're bringing to the market. Yep. And like you mentioned earlier, you've been on wall street. Um, you've been a professor of finance. You've studied this for a long time. We're in unprecedented times. Outside of Seats Capital, let's remove ourselves from that conversation. How do you view the current times? You know, based on what you've seen your whole career, I know it's unprecedented, but like when you look at what's going on right now, what? How would you describe what you're seeing and what worries you? Well, I, uh, I'm, I'm not an economist, uh, so I, I don't even try to make big picture predictions. Uh, I like the kind of the comfort of financial engineering where everything's just kind of there and you can, <laughs> you know, the outcome and you, you find, you know, you as tight of a kind of an arbitrage as you can, um, you know, in this environment, it's, it's impossible. Uh, so, um, you know, I, I'm, I think everybody needs to be uh, careful uh, in taking, you know, in, in everything they need to, it, things could get worse, obviously. Um, you know, you want to be optimistic, but um, it is the case that things, there is a big downside that um, is possible. Um, and, you know, we have no idea when it's going to be over. So, um, you know, everybody needs to be careful and, and humble and not, um, not be too, uh, take too much risk at this point. Uh, at the same time, just like we talked about, this is an opportunity for, for um, doing new things. I mean, a lot of a lot, there are new needs in the market, um, you know, for opportunity for entrepreneurs to, to meet. Um, there's a lot of, op, there's going to be a lot of opportunity. A lot of companies are going to unfortunately go bankrupt. Um, and so, you know, customers to be, to be um, served um, financial opportunities. So I, I, you know, I, like I said, I'm not a, uh, I don't, I, I, the way I, type of the way I try to think in my professional life, like with seats is more regardless of which direction it goes, let's figure out the best, um, you know, the best structure to put in place to kind of ideally make it a little bit better if it, regardless of which direction it goes, you know, that's, uh, that's what I like to try to structure to, um, you know, but you know, you can't, you can't, you know, make the downside a little bit less down, but, but have no way of actually preventing the downside for sure. Makes sense. Uh, in the, in, to, in the last question here, just for fun, uh, where did you get the name seats? Where, where did that come from? It started with revenue receipts. Um, so selling revenue receipts and I, you know, I obviously changed the, changed the spelling of it. Uh, but the, the term just, just really hit me when I, when I was thinking about revenue receipts and then its next life was, you know, quickly, I guess, was seats at the table, kind of a, you know, democratized, you know, popular approach to investing where, you know, it's a lot more people can, can participate. And then it went to um, seats on an airplane because 
our user experience that we're kind of building on our platform is going to be a little bit like selecting a seat on an airplane because every revenue band is unique. And so you can, you know, just like every seat in an airplane is unique mm -hmm. and you can pick your, pick your one. And then the latest, uh, the latest, uh, incarnation of it are, um, you know, uh, um, I don't know if you, you call a seat on a horse, a seat, but, uh, you know, we, we've been thinking about this in the terms of horse racing that, you know, if you're an investor, you don't necessarily want to buy the horse. Um, you want to, you know, just go to the track and, and, uh, you know, it, you know, put your money on, on different races. So it's, we've kind of thought of it as these, you know, seats on, on horse, horse races. So interesting. Thank you. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. How can people learn more? Where can they go to learn more about seats? Yeah. Seatscapital.com. Um, any businesses, um, think about listing on seats. Um, we'll help you, you know, you know, you only need a, a website and a name and a description to list and we'll help you kind of get in the you know, position to, uh, to offer these and we'll, um, you know, expose you to a new, new group of investors and investors, uh, come around and check out the, um, check out the listings. We also have a really cool game that actually this is the first announcement of this game. Um, it is a, it's meant to, um, to kind of get people, uh, way, raise awareness to this new type of investing. Um, there's a prize. It's small now. It's $300, but it's going to go up as more people play. Um, payable in July. It's trading virtual seats contracts on Apple, Amazon, Tesla, Delta, and JP Morgan. So 15 contracts, each $100,000 a piece. You can go long, you can go short. So check that out. It's at seatscapital.com.